Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, this is Tristan Nunez, driver of the 7-0 Skyactiv Mazda prototype, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the January 31st edition of Speedway Digest, Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. This is episode 152 of the series and our first episode of 2019. Now, where'd we put that confetti? I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and we'd like to thank you for tuning in after a long off-season. We're well-rested and ready to get the season started with a bang. How about you? On tonight's program, Michael Mullally and myself will be talking a bit about the changes going on into 2019, reviewing the Michelin Pilot Challenge with Devin Jones, talking a bit about the chilly rain fest that was the Rolex 24, and discussing small track racing. Also, we will, as always, discuss whatever other more sports news pops into the conversation. Our first guest tonight is Devin Jones. Devin Jones is a professional race car driver whose expertise ranges extensively in multiple forms of motorsports. Starting at a young age, Devin amassed multiple national karting national championships, becoming an international karting federation certified expert by the age of 11, one of the youngest to achieve that status in history. After early success, Jones shifted his focus to racing on ovals, competing in Bandolero and Legends cars in 2008. He would win multiple races, becoming one of the top-ranked drivers in the nation during his first season, which included finishing runner-up in the summer shootout at Charlotte Motor Speedway and winning pole position at the USA Legend Car Nationals in Indianapolis. At the start of the 2009 season, Jones moved up into heavier and more powerful super late models in the Pro All-Stars Series. Jones qualified third out of 50 cars in the Easter Bunny 150 his first career start and finished the best of third in the Independence Day 150 at Hickory Motor Speedway in July of 2009, where he was a top rookie in the series at age 14. Jones continued to run in the Pro All-Star Series in 2010. He finished the year with two poles, three top fives, and eight top tens in 12 starts, along with leading 47 laps. In September of 2010, Jones finished fifth on one of the biggest races of the season, the Labor Day Classic 300 at the historic North Wilkesboro Speedway. Jones was ranked as one of the top 30 late model drivers in the country by end of the season. In November of 2010, Jones began diversifying himself and started his road racing career by finishing on the podium in his first ever Skip Barber Racing Series event at Road Atlanta. By the next season, Jones was racing in the Skip Barber Racing Series. In January 2011, he earned a pair of podiums at Homestead Miami Speedway, Jones raced in the Skip Barber National Series at three different tracks with the best finish coming at Lime Rock Park. He earned a test in the USF 2000 car during the season as well. After a foray into racing road, Jones finished out 2011 racing a late model stock in the NASCAR Wayland All-American Series at Hickory Motor Speedway. He won one pole in August and came <clears throat> come away with three top fives and six top tens and eight starts. Jones ran full-time in the UARA Stars Late Model Tour in 2012, where he achieved his first UARA pole qualifying run at Caraway Speedway. 
and finished the year with 28 laps led, two top fives, and eight top tens. He was one of the leading rookies in the series, winning rookie of the race at Anderson Motor Speedway in June. Jones would play sixth in the final season standings. 2013 was a landmark year for Jones, as he made his first start in the NASCAR Kemper World Truck Series at Martinsville Speedway for the Kroger 250. He also ran part-time in the UARA Stars late model tour stock Eight Metal Stock Touring Series, recording five top tens in six starts. It was announced that in 2014, Jones would be going back to road racing and competing in the ultra-competitive Mazda MX-5 Cup for C.J. Wilson Racing to sponsor Veristar. Ver- Ver- Jones would finish the season six in points after earning eight top tens in ten races. He was one of the top rookies with the best finish of course at Road Atlanta during the t- the T. Le Mans weekend. Jones would return to Global MX-5 Cup in 2015, driving a, oh gosh, Veristor, Ver, yeah, <laughs> sponsored entry once again. The top five finishes at NOLA Motorsports Park and Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. He would also make his debut in the Insect Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. Jones would earn a pole position and set a new track record at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park in only his second IMSA start. During the 2016 and 2017 seasons, Jones ran full-time in the IMSA Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, driving a Porsche Cayman for body motion racing. Jones went on to claim a podium finish at Watkins Glen International, claimed Rookie of the Year, and finished, sixth, finished the season fifth, fifth in the final point standings in 2016. Jones also made his debut in the NASCAR Xfazi Series in 2017 at Watkins Glen International, driving for SS Greenlight Racing. Jones raced the BMW 328i for Bimmer World Racing in 2018 and dominated the season by winning the three poles, setting three new track records, and scoring four wins at Daytona, Sport, Road America, and Laguna Seca during the IMSA Continental Tires Series Sports Car Challenge Series season, going on to win the series championship in the final year of the SD class. He is now also he is still competing for Bimber World Racing and recently completed the Michelin Pilot Challenge at the Daytona National Speedway. We'd now like to welcome Devin Jones to the program. Hey Adam, thanks for having me. Thank you very much for having me on tonight. It was great to uh, to see the race on Friday, and I know that Friday was probably the best weather day of the weekend. Can you tell us a little bit more about how the race went for you and the team? Yeah, it definitely was the best weather looking at the uh looking at the second half of the Rolex twenty four there. So definitely good weather. Um and our team was really strong, especially, you know, even the testing at the roar. We showed good speed. Um, you know, at the roar it's always tough to tell who's, you know, giving it all they have and, you know, with with the different challenges with the BOP. But I think our car was pretty good and we were happy with it. Um and then going into the race, uh not much practice really. We had a little rain. Um Friday or Thursday morning and kind of limited track time. So we kind of had, we knew we had a strong setup. Um, and uh, my co-driver, James Clay, uh, put in a pretty good lap in qualifying. I think we started 10th. So, you know, pretty solid position to start. Obviously it was a really, um, really big field this year. I think 36 GS cars and about 15 TCR cars. So overall a field of 50 cars, a lot of really strong drivers this year, a lot of really strong teams. Um, and then with Michelin's involvement in the series, it really um, it's gained a lot of momentum, it seems like, just even this season. So we were really excited for the race. We thought we had a really good car on the long run, um, and that's kind of what we worked on in practice is just fine-tuning the car, especially because this is we normally race 
you know, two hours. So this is, but this was a four hour race for us. So definitely we wanted to tune the car up to, for it to be better uh, towards the end of a stint. Um, and James did a really good job in the beginning of the race, staying out of trouble, um, keeping the car up towards the top 10. We had a few problems um, with the, with the power in the car and he had to cycle the engine a little bit um, to get it back to where we needed. Uh, but by the half point, halfway point, we were feeling really good about things. Uh, we came in for the driver change. Driver change went really well. Uh, the only problem is we had a radio failure in the car. So when I got when I jumped in, um, I keyed the mic to see you know to do a radio check and didn't hear anybody for the rest of the race. So I was without a radio, um, which normally wouldn't be a huge deal in a two-hour race because we wouldn't have to make another pit stop. Um, but since we had to make a few more pit stops this race, it made it difficult kind of judging when I needed to come in, um, just kind of had to base it off of just looking at the fuel used and different, different dashes we have set up in the car and things I can look at. So I had to judge off that, um, had to make it kind of just do my own strategy within the car, which was uh, something new I've never had to deal with. Um, but you know, I was, the car felt really strong the whole race. Um, and I was just, we, we were able to get up to the lead for a little bit. I led a few laps. We had to come in. I had to come in and make a pit stop under green. Uh, we lost a little bit of time under the pit stop. Um, our car takes a little bit longer to fuel than some of the others, and we knew that was going to be a little bit of an issue. Um, but then from there, had had some cautions towards the end of the race that kind of bunched the field back up. I think we were sitting 13th or 14th on the final restart, um, and it really it was just an all-out fight from there. A lot of good, you know, a lot of good drivers in the car really going after it. It's the first race of the year. Everybody wants to uh, have a good result to start out the year so you're not in a big hole for the rest of the season. So a lot of really aggressive driving. Um, I was able to kind of stay out of trouble and and pick off a few cars here and there. Um, And then was able to, in the last 10 minutes, work my way up to fourth. So we were really happy with the finish. You know, obviously you always want a little bit more, but considering the circumstances, we were pretty happy to walk away. Um, with a fourth place finish there, definitely a good start to the year. Um, and we're, it's kind of a, we got to wait a little bit for Sebring now, but it's good to have a good run for this little break that we have to kind of regroup and get ready for Sebring. So we're excited. As I mentioned, you have almost a two month break into your next event. How do you keep yourself motivated for the, uh, for the rest of the season? Yeah. So I, you know, we'll do a little bit of testing, um, our closest track of Bimmer World's based out of Virginia, so we're pretty close to VIR. We might do some testing there. Um, we haven't quite decided if we're going to be able to go down to Sebring for the test um, down there later in the year, but we'll do a few test sessions here and there, and I'll keep myself <laughs> I'll keep myself fresh trying to drive anything I can, whether it's carts or um, just anything to try to keep uh, keep myself in the car as much as possible. What are your goals for the remainder of the 2019 season? Oh, this season, you know, we have we have some pretty big goals. I think we have our team is so strong, and I think, but it's going to be difficult with all the all the new teams that have come in this year. Such a really diverse group of you know cars, manu- manufacturers, drivers. It's a really deep field this year. Um, but we're you know we're hoping to our, our goal is the championship, like a lot of other people. But I think we have the team to do it. Um, obviously, we showed our speed at um, at Daytona this weekend. Um, but it's such a long season, so right now we're just we're just taking it race by race. Our next focus is Sebring, um, obviously a really tough track, but a track that I enjoy a lot. Um, and I think it suits our, our BMW pretty good, and that's the thing about this series. Each track you go to, it suits certain cars better than others. So 
we just kind of have to keep on top of that and just everyone has to you know do their job the best they can and at the end of the you know at the end of the day at the end of the season um it'll shake out how it shakes out but i'm pretty confident in um in our chances this year for sure you mentioned it's a really deep field this year i noticed on the uh during the race that there are a lot of names on there. They're recognizable, not only from, from sports cars, but for from numerous other series. Um, why do you think that is this season? And, uh, and how has the competition level increased due to the, the better drivers who appear to be racing in it this year? Yeah, it, it's really cool. Especially this weekend, we had a lot of, uh, one of my teammates, Kaz Garala, he's a, you know, a, a NASCAR guy. I used to actually mm-hmm. race a little bit with him in late models a long time ago. But we had, yeah, a lot of different drivers coming from different backgrounds, a lot of NASCAR guys, some open-wheel guys, um, and some really well-known veteran sports car racers that have been in the business for a long time. And it's just it's great to see the series growing this much. You know, I, I always talk to fans, and they always say the, the, the Michelin Pilot Challenge is usually one of the best races to watch throughout the weekend just because, of the you know, the races are a little bit shorter, um, and the driver lineups are honestly just stacked with really – you know, you have you have some of the drivers in there that are kind of up and coming, and then you have some some guys that have been around for a long time and really know how to get the most out of a car. And I think it just throw in all the different manufacturers and the, the GT4 platform that they've that IMSA has developed over the years. I think you just get a recipe for really good racing. Um, I think all the different tracks we go to, it really it's awesome to be on a schedule like that where we go to some of the best tracks I think in North America for sure. So, I, you know, I think it's an attractive schedule. Um, obviously, with NBC coming on board this year, a new TV partner, I think that drew people into the series, too. And just the the GT4 platform is really good, uh, especially, you know, it's, it's, you get turnkey race cars and you can go out there and race them. So I think it's a, it's a very attractive series for drivers, teams, and you know, even sponsors, too, that are looking to get involved in, uh, in, in sports car racing. You mentioned that there's a, a wide variety of, of racetracks that the series competes on. Which one is your favorite? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a tough question. I, I enjoy you know I enjoy going to so many of them each year. Uh, I you know I'd have to say uh, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, uh, Mossport. That's a track I've just kind of you know it's funny. The first time I went there, I didn't I didn't take to it as as quickly as I would have liked. But once I kind of figured it out, it seems to really suit my driving style really well. Um, just a really long, it's a flowy track, very high speed, you know, definitely high risk. Um, it's an old school track, and I think that suits me really well. A lot of uh, uh, corners where you really have to keep the minimum speeds high, and that kind of suits my background too. Um, it's it's a track I've had success on in the past. Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of good memories there. I always like going to Canada too, seeing the Canadian fans. It's a track that uh, it, it's definitely, from a fan perspective, I think some of the best fans are always there for that race. And the track itself is just awesome. It's really raw and old school, and you really have to you really have to take risks to be fast there, which I is something I really enjoy. I have to say, Watkins Glen is probably a close second too, especially after the repave there. The track's so fast and has a lot of grip. Um, and that's always a fun weekend to go to as, as well. well. Let me go ahead and throw you out to my co-host, Michael Malali, and I probably have a couple more questions for you, but I'll take care of those in a few minutes. Great. <clears throat> okay, so my first question for you is, if you weren't racing, what do you think you would be doing? If I wasn't racing, well, um, 
that, that's always a tough one to answer too. Um, I've, I've been racing, racing is pretty much all I've ever known from a really young age. Um, my, you know, my dad grew up racing motorcycles and I've, I've been, I started karting, but if, if I wasn't racing, I'd have to be, I'd be doing something competitively. I think I'm just inherently a really, I'm a really competitive guy. I like to go up and, and, and test myself against people. I'm, I've taken a really in the past few years. I've really gotten into cycling, um, so maybe I'd be a maybe I'd be a professional cyclist down the road. But um, other than that, you know, I, I enjoy. I've, I've gone to school. I go to UNC Charlotte. I'm a public relations major, so I enjoy you know that aspect of of things too. So tough one to answer, but you know, it it'd probably be something I I get too itchy if I'm not doing something. So it'd definitely be something competitive, I think. And if your competitors could describe you in one word, what word do you think that would be? If my competitors would describe me in one word, well, um, I think it, it, I guess it depends on who you ask, but um, generally I think, it, you know, I'm a pretty clean racer, I think. Um, I'm clean, but, but, but I'll race you hard. I think most people would, would say I'm a, a, I guess fair. It would be a good word. I'm a pretty fair driver. I don't, you know, I, I, I've grown up, you know, I grew up racing with a family-owned team where we couldn't really afford to tear up equipment. Um, we had, you know, we had, a, we had a small budget in that sense. So I've always, even now, as I've gotten later into my career, I still have it in the back of my mind that I don't like to, definitely don't like to tear up race cars. So I like to try to keep it clean and, and aggressive too. But I think that's one great thing about sports car racing uh, compared to some other forms of racing, the driver's, um, you know, they don't, they don't dump you instantly, you know, so to speak, they, they'll kind of race you clean and fair. Um, and I think the culture in sports car racing is a little bit different, especially when it goes to, you know, some of the drivers in NASCAR and even some short track racing stuff that I've experienced is people are a little bit more willing to, you know, get into you and not worried as much about the damage to a car. So I think, you know, at, at a younger age, when I was younger, I was a little bit more aggressive, um, and I did get into people a little bit more, but as I've gotten a little bit older and I've matured a little bit, I've kind of seen the, the forest of the trees, I guess, and, and able to be a little bit more fair and, um, you know, control my emotions in the car and just try to race clean and get the most out of the car. You know, some days the, the most out of the car is a win, and when you see that opportunity, you have to go for it. But other days, it's, you know, you're you're just you're hoping to get a top ten, and sometimes if you're, you know, if you're racing for a top 10, you're not going to be able to race for the win. So, so pushing that car that extra little bit um, can be harmful. So I think you just have to take what you can get on a given race weekend and, and work it from there. And what is your dream car? My dream car? Um, it has to be, uh, that's a tough question. Um, I guess it would have to be some form, you know, I'd have to, I, I love my, my, BMW M4 race car. I'd like to have an M4 on the street, maybe, which would be cool. Um, but right now, that's that's the car I race. So I guess an M4 would be uh, my dream car right now. <laughs> and my final question for you: If you could give advice to anyone wanting a start in the sport, what advice would that be? It's you know it's such a tough that racing is such a tough sport it's not like you know it's not like baseball or football where there's a set path to a certain you know a certain you know end goal it's one of those things where you know obviously in the beginning you have to have you have to show some sort of promise um you have to have a, a 
either your family or a group of supporters behind you that believe in you. I think that's the big part of it. This is not a sport where you can do something alone. You have to have a group behind you that really believes in you. I know I've been fortunate with that. Um, at the end of the day, it really it comes down to um, if you have a true passion for the sport and a desire to really go that extra little bit. Um, it's And it's such a tough sport because, you know, there's certain days where and even seasons where you feel your confidence can really get beaten down. Um, but you just have to keep believing in yourself and know that, know that you can do it. And I think that's the biggest thing is just you have to have the belief that you can do it. And if you have the belief, um, you, you'll definitely have the, the desire to do it and the passion. So I think it all goes together, and you have to have a strong support group. And just align yourself with, with good people. You know, that's such an important thing. Racing is such a team sport, too. It's not an individual sport at all. There's, you have to have a good team behind you. Um, even all, all the way up the ladder, it has to be that way. So I think those are, those are the few things I would say to, to anybody trying to get into the sport. You've been through uh, many different series in your career so far. Growing up, who was your racing idol? Who was the one who you wanted to model your career after? I always so I, I was a, I was a big NASCAR fan growing up, just like a lot of kids. Uh, I really admired Jeff Gordon. I, I was a big Jeff Gordon fan. I loved the way he raced. I loved the way he presented himself, um, you know, outside the car. And even towards the end of his career, I liked how he, you know, he showed his passion. He'd get fired up in certain situations um, when he saw something that he didn't like, um, or he was treated on the track how he didn't like. So he, he definitely stood up for himself in that sense too. But he was just all around a really a, a class act guy, and I've I've always uh, always tried to model like myself after him, just because I grew up as a as a big fan of, of Jeff Gordon for sure. And my final question is, what is your most memorable racing moment? Oh, man, that is a tough one. I, I don't know if I could put it down to one moment. You know, the racing has taken me so many different places. I've been, to, you know, I've, I've been all over the country. I've met so many, you know, interesting people, uh, especially in the short track racing scene. Uh, I've met some of my, you know, I have a lot of great memories there. Um, but if I have to pick, um, a, a recent moment would probably be, Maybe uh, the win this year at, at Laguna Seca was really special to us. We had a campaign that year um, that was in part of, led by my co-driver, co Nick Alante. We had the Racing and Alzheimer's campaign. Um, and we had a lot of names on the car, people that were affected by Alzheimer's. Um, and that was a really special race for us. It was Nick's, Nick's home track. Um, we had a lot of names on the car. We had a whole presentation um, to present it that, uh, that weekend, and we were able to um, – make a pretty late race pass and win. So I think that was, that was a special one just because it came, you know, it, we were able to honor some, some families and people that were affected and kind of a, a bigger cause than, than just going out there to race. So I think that was a, that was definitely a, a very special moment for me. Well, we'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program this evening and hopefully we get to talk to you a little bit later in the season. See how everything's going with you. And thank you very much again. Thanks Adam. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Have a nice evening. Thank you. Once again, that was Devin Jones, who competed in the, for the Bimmer World Team in the Michelin Pilot Challenge at the Daytona National Speedway this past Friday afternoon. Heavy rains began early in the morning hours on Sunday and continued throughout the day, made the 57th annual Rolex 24 Daytona Battle for Survival, and the team that wound up to be the fittest 
was the number 10 Kanaka Cadillac DPI VR squad of Jordan Taylor, Brenger van de Zander, Kamui Kobayashi, and Fernando Alonso. With two hours and seven minutes remaining in the race, Alonso took the lead when 2018 IMSA IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship prototype champion Felipe Nazar spun off course in turn one in the number 31 Whalen Engineering Cadillac DPI VR. Ten minutes later, and with rain intensifying, the race was red flagged for the second time due to track conditions. It was the first Rolex 24 in history to have two red flags. It was not restarted, giving the number 10 Cadillac fielded by Wayne Taylor Racing its second Rolex 24 Daytona victory in three years. Cadillac won its third consecutive Rolex 24 since launching its DPI program at the start of 2017 WeatherTech Championship season. Jordan Taylor was a lone member of the driving lineup in both victories and now is a two-time overall Rolex 24 winner. His 2017 victory came alongside his brother Ricky as well as four-time Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series champion Jeff Gordon and longtime Wing Taylor racing driver Max Angelelli. That victory helped propel the Taylor brothers to five consecutive WeatherTech Championship victories and the 2017 prototype title. Wayne Taylor Racing also won the Rolex 24 in 2005. Alonzo, the two-time Formula One world champion, took his first victory in his second Rolex 24 appearance. He became the third Formula One world champion to win the Rolex 24, joining Phil Hill and Mario Andretti. Hill was the 1961 Formula One champion and 1964 Rolex 24 champion. Andretti was the 1978 Formula One champion and the 1972 Rolex 24 champion. Alonso won his two world championships in 2005 and 2006. Alonzo's victory comes on the heels of an overall win in the 24-hour of Le Mans last June and comes in advance of a scheduled appearance in May's Indianapolis 500. It was the first Rolex 24 victory for both Van der Zander and Kobayashi. Van der Zander was the 2016 WeatherTech Championship Prototype Challenge champion. It was the second consecutive victory for Van der Zander, Jordan Taylor, and the number 10 team, And as it also won the 2018 season-ending Motul Petit Le Mans at Michelin Raceway, Road Atlanta. The victory for Kobayashi comes in his first Rolex 24 and his first WeatherTech Championship start. The Japanese ex-Formula One driver is a full-time driver in the number seven Toyota LMP1 car in the FIA World Endurance Championship. Despite the spin, Nazar was able to continue in the number 31 Cadillac DPI and rejoin the race in second place, where he would finish with co-drivers Kipo Durrani and Eric Kieran. It was the second straight runner-up result in the Rolex 24 for Nazar and Kieran, who went to win both the WeatherTech Championship and IMSA Michelin Endurance Cup prototype titles in 2018. Durrani, the 2016 Rolex 24 overall winner, joined the number 31 team as Nazar's full-time teammate for the 2019 season. Kieran has moved to a Michelin Endurance Cup-only role with the team. Completing the DPI class podium was the number seven Acura Team Penske Acura DPI squad of Ricky Taylor, Elio Castroneves, and Alexander Rossi. The trio combined to lead a total of 78 laps during the race, but Rossi, who was driving the car at the time of the red flag, could get no closer than third place. The numbers 10, 31, and 7 cars were the only ones to finish on the lead lap. Finishing fourth, four laps down, was the number 54 Core Autospart Nissan DPI quartet of John Bennett, Cullen Braun, Romain Dumas, and Luc Duval. 
at number 85, JBC Miller Motorsports Cadillac DPI team of Michel Goikberg, Tristan Vautier, Devlin DeFrancesco, and Rubens Barrichello completed the top five. Next up for the WeatherTech Championship and Michelin Endurance Cup is the 67th Mobile One 12 Hour of Sebring presented by Advanced Auto Parts on Saturday, March 16th at Sebring International Raceway. Tickets are available now at SebringRaceway.com. Just prior to the red flag, Sebastian Saavedra crashed the number 18 Dragon Speed Orica into the tire barrier, significantly damaging the car's bodywork. However, the Columbia eventually managed to get the tire running, and well-timed red flag gave the number 18 team its first Rolex 24 victory in the LM22 class. Saavedra joined drivers Roberto Gonzalez, Ryan Cullen, and Pastor Maldonado in winning by three laps over the number 38 Performance Tech Motorsports LMP2. It was the first Rolex 24 win for all four drivers. Cameron Castles, Chris Wright, and the father and son combination of Kyle and Robert Maffin finished second in LMP2 in the number 38 Performance Tech Motorsports ORECA. Henrik Hedman, Ben Hanley, Nicholas Lapierre, and James Allen completed the LMP2 podium with the third place run in the number 81 Dragon Speed Orca. Let's go ahead and take a small musical break here and play Victory Lane by Ron Pastana and the Pit Crew.
race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner. Maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport. Contact either Michael Nolly or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. Orange County, New York is home to one of racing's hidden gems and true historic sites, a 5 8 mile dirt track located in the heart of the town of Wallkill that has been continually operated since 1919, making it the oldest in the nation. While New York State plays host to a number of dirt short tracks, none have as rich or an interesting as history as to what has long been known as the Orange County Fair Speedway. At the time of the first automobile race on August 16, 1919, OCFS was known as the Harry Clay Oval. It had been constructed in 1857 at the Orange County Fairgrounds as a horse racing track. Despite the existence of older horse tracks, the Harry Clay Oval slash OCFS may be the oldest continuously operated racing facility in the world. Starting in 1913, auto racing enthusiast George Martin lobbied to bring cars to the track, eventually succeeding in 1919, assembling a field of drivers for a crowd of 5,000. That first race, run mostly by cars with the the Duesenberg Motors, was won by James Benedict of Katona, New York, driving the Benedict Special. To Martin's relief, the races were a huge success, with fair directors admitting that by next year they'd need to accommodate a much larger crowd. Auto racing at OCFS would continue regularly for the next 100 years, excluding a short government-mandated break during World War II due to metal and gasoline conservation efforts. In 1946, a full-time racing effort returned to the newly dubbed Victory Speedway, now officially an auto racing track featuring American Racing Drivers Club-sanctioned midget car racing. Stock car racing officially began at the Speedway on September 18, 1948, as Ricky Natale is credited with the first-ever stock car win. The first fully contested championship season began on April 16, 1950, and the first race of the season was won by Tex Enright, driving the number 407 modified coupe. Eventually, Victory Speedway would transition into being known as the Orange County Fair Speedway, as it is still today. Now, in 2019, the track, referred to by some as the Hard Clay or the House of Power, features some of the most exciting racing action you'll see in the country. Many racing legends like Mario Andretti competed in Middleton, Middletown early in their careers. Even NASCAR stars like Tony Stewart are known to make yearly appearances, but all season long, local grassroots stock car teams can be seen giving their all in 850-plus horsepower V8-powered dirt mo- <clears throat> dirt-modified race cars battling for the OCFS championship. For around the same price as the night at the movies, your family can witness this spectacle that has captivated fans for 100 years. Orange More Sports and Entertainment, the new managing company at OCFS as of 2018, will celebrate the 100th season with a special three-day centennial event in August, as well as specially curated year-long tributes to OCFS's history and legendary cast of drivers, car owners, car builders, and track personalities. Weekly events will feature live music at the 31st Lap Tavern, the track bar where fans and racers meet for drinks, delicious food, and, of course, some racing talk after the night's events. Fans of racing, history, Americana, car culture, classic cars, or just those looking for a fun night out for the family will be treated to a season steeped in nostalgia, local history, and the finest racing you'll see at this newly upgraded facility. 
2018 saw the restoration of OCFS, this half-covered grandstand, the addition of party deck seating with high-top tables for four, new turn for bleachers, new restrooms, new VIP areas, new official merchandise store, the return of the Super Dirt Car Series, and more. With last year's upgrades, OCFS offers a more comfortable experience for all in this unprecedented anniversary season. It all starts the first weekend in April 2019 with a short track Super Series hard play open, followed by the OCFS 100th anniversary season opener on Saturday, April 13th. For a preview of the season to come, fans are encouraged to attend our 2019 Motorsports show on March 23rd through the 24th, where they can get up close and personal with the cars, drivers, and teams. For a full schedule of Speedway events and news, visit the official site at orangecountyfairspeedway.com and follow OCFS Racing on Instagram and Facebook for daily posts, giveaway, breaking news, and exciting video content. we now like to welcome the track PR director, Jake Meyer, to the show, and we're going to have our co-host, Michael Mullally, a short track racer herself, begin with her questions this evening. Hey, how are you doing this evening? Good. How are you? Doing pretty well. Pretty well. Must be a little chilly up where you are. Uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, I think we're looking at about three degrees right now. That's a little too cold for my blood. I was a little chilly this morning when it was 60 <laughs> degrees here. So I think wow. freeze, uh, you can keep that. Yeah, I'd kill for 60 degrees right now. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd like to turn you over to my co-host, Michael Mullally, who races at a short track out in the freight of Washington, who has some questions for you to be in with. Great. Okay, so my first question for you this evening is what will the three-day centennial event consist of? Well, we're still working on all the details, um, but at this time what we're looking at is, uh, you know, three days of racing, and we're going to kind of structure it with um, – we're going to change up the qualifying a little bit and not do your typical heats or consolation races – well, we're going to actually kind of do like three features over the three days um, that get bigger and bigger. And basically, uh, you know, your finishes in the previous features will determine uh, your spot in the final feature. And so it'll start with like a 40 lap on Thursday and then, you know, move on to an 80 lap race on Saturday or on Friday. And then culminating with like probably like a 160 lap race on uh, Saturday, the last day of the event. And, the, you know, the field will be determined on, you know, Thursday and Friday's shorter races. Wow. Um, you know, other than, other than that, there'll be all sorts of other, you know, celebrations of our history and stuff going on. Yeah, that actually sounds really fun. Yeah, it's you know we want to give the, we want to give the fans something different, um, you know, because we we already are home of Eastern States Weekend, uh, which is a three day racing festival with camping. It's you know the old one of the oldest or is the oldest championship weekend in dirt racing, and so we we didn't want to like kind of double up and create like a second Eastern States. We wanted, but we did want to you know pay tribute to the hundred years and put on an event specifically to commemorate that. And we think that this, you know, format might be, might be a cool thing to try, and it's something different and new and exciting. And what are some of the greatest moments the track has seen? So I've thought a bit about this, and, uh, you know, our, our track is 100 years old this year, 
and I'm only 31, so I've, I've, you know, I've not been around for much of our history, um, and so I kind of like looked back and, and thought about some great moments that I was not around for, but you know, were certainly kind of defining moments for us. And you know, one that one that I thought stuck out was back in the back in the mid '60s. We had a, um, you know, we, we we were one of the premier tracks. Uh, dirt racing was at the height of its popularity. And what we saw was uh, a large contingency of, of drivers come up from Florida uh, to race at our track. And, you know, I guess what it was is these guys saw an opportunity to come up here and make some money. So guys like Bob Malzahn and, uh, you know, Will Cagle, uh, you know, started coming up to Orange County, started running our track, started winning. Uh, you know, Will, Will Cagle especially is known for multiple Eastern States wins and championships at our track. And, uh, you know, it really kind of enhanced the program and it kind of forced our local guys to step their game up and it just it made everything more competitive and exciting. You know, eventually guys like Gary Blue would come up from Florida as well. And it just, you know, it really just like kicked off like this great racing and just really kind of added to everything that we were already doing before then. Um, and then, you know, some other things that stick out, uh, 1967 or 68, I think, we constructed our drive-in section. Um, the drive-in section is a pretty unique thing. I don't know of any other tracks that have one. And it allows you to watch the, tra- watch the races from your car, um, just like at a drive-in movie. And it's you know, a really cool thing because people come and they set up and they bring their grills and they, you know, big families, they set up their chairs and blankets. And it's like a, it's a tailgating experience that doesn't take place before or after the event, but during. And uh, I think that's a really neat part of our history that stands to this day. I mean, we still have the drive-in section. It's still one of the more popular places to watch the races from. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Do you do any racing of your own? I do not. I'm a... Uh, I come from marketing, and uh, I'm a uh, I'm a car person, I'm a motorhead, but uh, I'm also I'm also like six five and very big, so I've never been one to get into cars. So I was always too big for car go karts, <laughs> and so I kind of just you know hung hung in the sidelines and kind of got to know the marketing and the promotion end of everything, and that's kind of where I come from. My grandfather was. Um, actually had a, a career at our racetrack. Uh, we're at a county fairgrounds, and so in addition to racing, we do concerts, we do motocross, um, we, we all sorts of stuff, uh, different kinds of events. And so my grandfather worked, uh, you know, in that kind of stuff, and my father's first job was at the track. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a legacy, but never actually been involved in racing myself. Um, just, you know, on the sidelines taking care of business. Well, what's the biggest event your facility holds every year? So Eastern States is um, definitely like our, that's our premier event. And, you know, this year with our 100th anniversary, it's kind of taking second, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of going second to this 100th anniversary event. You know, the 100th anniversary event will, it'll be three days long. 
it, I can't, I don't, I don't know if now's the time to reveal just exactly what it is, but the, the purse structure, the payout for this race, uh, it, it'll be completely unprecedented. It'll be the highest, highest payout in any, you know, dirt race. Um, but typically Eastern States weekend is our biggest yearly event. It's been running since 1962. Um, it's the oldest weekend championship weekend in dirt racing. Uh, we, we pull drivers from all over the East Coast for that event, and we, we fill our fairgrounds facilities, like 99 acres, and every inch of it is covered with cars. I mean, it's just completely full. Last year, we actually uh, we had an overflow issue in the pits. We had so many uh, sportsman drivers show up that uh, we just didn't even have room. Mm-hmm. And what kind of maintenance goes into maintaining the clay on the track? So our track is, is a little unique. Um, you know, we've, we've always uh, had this nickname, the hard clay, and, you know, that uh, the very literal name, um, the clay that makes up our track is notoriously hard. Um, you know, it's very different from a lot of the dirt you'll see on tracks down south or out west. Um, you know, the northeast is kind of its own beast. And so we have a very unique racing surface. And track prep is just you know it's a huge part of what we do uh you know every every week it's just they the guys are out there they're prepping the track you know we we screen the track for you know to remove large pieces and debris um the track is groomed the track is packed in uh you know water is used when needed and uh i mean it's 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 like a it's a science that uh I would it would be best explained by the experts. <laughs> as the uh, as the marketing guy, I have a pretty good understanding, um, but I you know I know a lot more goes into it than than what I know about. And uh, the guys that we have working on our track, I mean these guys have been doing it for a while, and they're they're really good at what they do. And uh, you know I know from just having talked with a lot of drivers that it, we have a very unique racing surface it's it can be difficult it's you know for some it's very challenging and for our regulars you know it's it's something that they've come to expect and they're used to it and so we get we get pretty interesting shows when uh super dirt series or short track super series comes through and some of these drivers are a little less familiar with our track it it allows for our local guys to remain competitive against the you know the pro guys that and it just makes for really interesting racing. And my final question for you, if you asked your fans to describe the track in one word, what word do you think they'd use? I think, uh, you know, I thought about it, and I think that that's, uh, I think what I would think is power. And and that kind of comes back to our other nickname that we've, you know, had for the last couple of years is the House of Power. And, you know, and that just comes from just the fact that these modifieds, these big blocks, I mean, and especially on a, on a, you know, larger five eighths mile track, they go so fast. And, uh, you know, when I bring out people, I brought out, uh, three of my uncles to the races, uh, last season, two of which had never been. And, you know, when the, the supporting classes went off and they were loving it, they were so excited, you know, the sportsmen and the 358 modifieds. And then, and then the big blocks came out and, like, the sound and the, just the rumble, it, the looks on their faces, like, just got even more intense, you know. And it's just, and I, and I think that that's really 
what just what goes through your head when you hear that when you see it it's just pure power one of the big things we've been discussing in this program since its inception is the fact that small tracks such as the one you you work at have had a, a really tough go over the past few years um, what do you think what is your secret to to having the success you've had there at the orange county fairground speedway you know i i i, I would I would have to say it comes down to passion and the people involved. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy that we've been around for a hundred years and, and to think that well, whatever we've been doing for the last hundred years, it's been enough to keep the doors open for, for so long, you know, longer than a lot of tracks in the area have. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's not like, it's not like we have anything truly that crazy that separates us from, you know, the other tracks you know, I'd have to say that it really comes down to our fan base and the drivers. I mean, we have drivers that have been with us since the late 60s. Um, you know, Rich Urich uh, is a great example, a, you know, past champion, many feature wins. Guy's been with us since 1967, I think. You know, and, and he still runs strong and wins features. And so I think that, you know, if I can point to anything for our, you know, continued success it's it's just the dedication you know the dedication of the fans the drivers the the people that have been involved with the track for decades you know everybody just has a real big interest in keeping it going and of course i got to give credit to our owner uh chris larson who you know took over uh, at the start of 2018 season and really kind of injected some new life into the track um you know he did a lot of work in renovations you know creating new seating areas upgrading facilities and you know even though that that only happened in just the last year and we you know we were getting by without those and they were desperately needed um but yeah no something something there's some kind of weird little magic that's kept us uh kept us going for 100 years it's nuts and what is your favorite thing about working at the track I guess just yeah, I mean just kind of working at the track, having uh, having a career in motorsports is uh, a blessing, for sure. Especially as somebody, you know, I never had aspirations as a driver, um, you know, and there are only so many roles for someone at the speedway, and wasn't sure exactly what my role might be or how I could fit in, you know, and uh, as I as I started getting into, you know, what I wanted to do with my life, uh, marketing kind of marketing, public relations, that kind of stuff kind of became my thing. And I toiled around and worked in, you know, some industries that I wasn't as passionate about, but it was a paycheck. And, uh, eventually it just, you know, I, I managed to work my way up to a spot where I got to be involved in doing what I do best at a place that I, you know, have personal history with that I love in a uh, in an industry that I love, and I think you know, and I think a lot of people that work for us could say that, and I think that's you know one of the that's one of the things that really makes us great is is the, is this passion. Well, it sounds like you have a great facility there, and uh, I think that they're uh, they're really lucky to have people like you who work there and try and make it a better place. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's it's very gratifying work. I'll say that uh, I, I love it. And uh, I couldn't be more excited for the future of the track and, and where we're going. Uh, I'll be a little disappointed when the hundredth year is over because, you know, we're doing so much for it and it's so fun. And I'm, you know, I'm having a lot of fun digging up old history and, and connecting with old fans that, 
you know, were from generations prior to mine. And it's just, this is, I'm going to be a little sad to, <laughs> to be beyond the hundred years. And, you know, I guess then we'll be, uh, I'll be prepping for the 125th anniversary, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'd love to have you back on in the, uh, in the end of April to talk about how the, how the hundredth anniversary thing went and, and to talk about some more stuff that's going on the track. That'd be, be great to have you on again. Great. I'd love to come back. Thanks for having well, me thank on. You. Yeah, thank you very much for coming and, uh, and good luck for the season. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, that was Jake Meyer from the Orange County Fairground Speedway, celebrating their 100th year in existence, their 100th year of competition as a motorsports facility. It's pretty awesome to have a, have a person from a track like that on here, and we'd love to talk to other people around the country who operate similar facilities. And as, as I said a few moments ago, we'll have, them, have the Orange County Fairground Speedway people back on again later in the season. So have you been watching any of the, the NASCAR silly season news? They had the test there in, in uh, Las Vegas today. Uh, there's been some penalties in the, in the past few weeks. It's going to be an interesting year in NASCAR for sure. No, um, I've been really busy with work and everything, so I haven't really had a lot of time for anything. But without a doubt, I am... 100% sure that it will in fact be a very interesting season. It should be and we're, we're looking forward to it. I don't know if we'll actually be going to any NASCAR events. The next event on our schedule is heading up to Sebring. To, uh, actually, we're not heading up to Sebring this year. We're going to be going to, uh, to St. Petersburg for the IndyCar race, which is the weekend after Sebring. Uh, that'll be kind of cool. Um, Sebring this year has a lot of stuff going on and we're not really planning on going there. They've got two different events. They've got the World Endurance Championship on Friday and then the Sebring 12 hours on Saturday. So we're probably going to wait until next year and see how that pans out. Um, but we're going to be heading to St. To, uh, Petersburg. Uh, we're probably going to be doing a few other different things. In April, we're actually going to, do, going to be doing another racing school, uh, the Bertel Ruse School, which is at uh, Palm Beach International Raceway. I'll have more information on that in the coming weeks as I get more information on it myself. So we're looking forward to that. Um, should be a great year. I know the, the event in, in Daytona was awesome. It's always great to go to Daytona. The fact that the weather was really, really nasty isn't the best thing. The fact it was cold, uh, but it was a good race. There were lots of people there. And I'm looking forward to a great year of motorsports action. Hopefully it'll be a, be a good show for the next few weeks and going on into the rest of the season as well. We've got a lot of great guests coming up, and we'll talk a little bit more about that on uh, Facebook. You can check that out. As I confirm the people, I'll let you know. Be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at speedwaydigestradionetwork.com. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar. I also invite you to read the articles covering all aspects of more sports at speedwaydigest.com. I posted about a dozen stories on speedwaydigest.com in the racing news and speedway news sections this afternoon, so be sure to check that out on speedwaydigest.com. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida, and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at Palm Beach Happening, which can be found by visiting palmbeach.happeningmag.com. Again, I've had a lot of time the past couple of days with the weather being rainy and, uh, and generally a little bit cooler, so I've done a lot of updating to the Palm Beach Happening website. Uh, I've added a few new, new uh, menu options up at the top of the page. You can check out uh, poems. 
You can check out the, the recipes that we have every week on Thursdays, the Tasty Thursday stuff. You can even check out some uh, some other information about weather and pretty much everything else going on in, in the Palm Beaches by checking out Palm Beach Happening, and I hope you do that. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next week in Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Have a great week, and we'll see you again next time.